Welcome to the Center for the Performing Arts at Penn State. I'm Communications Director Laura Sullivan, and you're in step with Previews. Previews editor John Raffis spoke with Graham Murphy, Australia's greatest choreographer, about Grand, a masterful union of dance and piano. Murphy's Sydney Dance Company performs the work which features 22 vignettes of various moods set to music by Bach, Beethoven, Gershwin, and others. A pianist on stage provides all of the music. In this phone interview from his home in Sydney, Murphy talks about his inspiration for Grand and the process of creating it. He also recalls his rural childhood in Tasmania and his late mother, a musician who fueled his passion for the piano. We're very much looking forward to um, the return of Sydney Dance Company. Yes, because I was thinking it's been 10 years. It's almost. It was November of 1997, so it's certainly 9 plus. Goodness. Which is much too long. I, I agree. I agree. Your one and only performance here, I must say, was one of the most exciting evenings I've ever spent in a theater. It was um, a great performance, and so... Oh, thank you. It was Free Radicals, wasn't it? The big percussion piece. Yes, it was. And it yeah, was... Uh, my goodness. Quite an illuminating work. Thank you very much, John. But this time out, you're going to be performing, uh, not you personally, but your talented dancers are going to be performing Grand, which is um, a series of 22 vignettes that explore um, the relationship of the piano um, to dancers. And Indeed. I, under I understand the uh, the inspiration came from your mom, who uh, I'm, s I'm sorry to hear passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, the inspiration is the piano, really. I mean, last time we were there, we, we had a percussion again, but this time it's the master of percussion instruments. It's the grand piano. And the inspiration for the entire work, and I mean the entire work, I mean the design, musical aspects, even the dance sometimes is um, impressionistic um, rendition of what a piano is. So the piano is at the heart of this work. And of course, for me, a very, as you said, a very personal connection. My mother was a pianist who was incredibly instrumental in my career and my love of music, which led to my career in dance. Well, she left you with a great legacy then. Indeed, indeed. The work is incredibly varied. You've got music by everyone but from Bach and um, Via Lobos <laughs> to Debussy and, and Henry Cowell, who's an American composer, for those who are not familiar. Kind of kind of a wild man in some ways in his time, I suppose. Oh, un unbelievably avant-garde, incredible. Rachmaninoff, Shostakovich, Gershwin, of course. You can't have piano without Gershwin. No, Beethoven, and, and somewhere over the rainbow gets a look in too. I see Harold Arlen and, and uh, Edgar Harpsburg. You begin and end with, with Bach, which I suppose makes a certain amount of sense, the Goldberg variations. How did you set about choosing the music that you would use? It was a daunting task because, you, you know, I love piano, and I think almost every, every great composer is written solely for the piano often before they orchestrate things that's born on the piano. So the scope, the choice was endless, absolutely infinite. And and getting it down to sort of something less than nine hours <laughs> was a huge problem. And of course, everybody involved in the creative process had, oh, but you must put this in. And of course, everyone has a must-hear piano piece. Right. So it was, it, it was very difficult from that point of view. Finally, we started to catalogue things into sort of sections. We had what we loosely called a, a, the bark is interesting because the bark really it, it's, it's bookends of the piece, but it's also we do variations on the Goldberg variations, 
and that's the linking between many things. So um, the pianist will do a jazz version leading into the Gershwin of the Bach leading in. So it's been the Bach was really useful from that point of view. It was really fantastic, you know, to hold the piece together as the glue. But then we put the pieces into loose categories like impressionistic pieces, which is the, the, the Debussy, the Scriabin, and even the Takamitsu sort of comes into that mm-hmm. into that category. And then there was um, a jazzy section, which in, in includes the, the Waller and the, um, the Gershwin. There's a, a massive waltz section, because I can't think of dance without thinking of the great waltz. And, um, you know, there's nothing that makes you want to dance more than the good waltz. Um, so we just ca- we loosely categorized the pieces, which gave it cohesion, and it was really important, and also helped helped us eliminate some of those, you know, it was heart wrenching, but we had to let a few pieces go. Right. So th- th- that really does help the piece flow. So just like the piano is capable of evoking uh, an infinite number of moods, you explore a, a lot of different moods in, in Grand. What are some of the, um, the moods you're working with and, and what are you trying to evoke there? Well, it's interesting because you'd have to say that with 22 disparate little pieces, it's, it could be incredibly, um, it, it could be a bitty night in a theatre, but it's not. It's actually very cohesive. Um, the mood changes. I mean... If I think about the most somber piece, for instance, it's the Beethoven Sonata, which is just an exquisite piece. And that is a duo which is probably one of the most more personal um, tributes to my mum. And that is a duo that is fairly lengthy and incredibly difficult, but beautifully touching. But on the other scale, the mood that I create... I was actually going to ask you, because in Australia we have what we call the competitions. Almost every small town to large town to city have what they call the competitions, which is the Estedfords. Um, and that's a series of sort of where, where kids get to sort of compete against each other in various dance segments and, and vocal segments. And it's such a part of my childhood and growing up. And my mum was always my... Uh, uh, she did the compliment to, to my performance and it was a very unfair advantage because she was really quite good and I think she dazzled the judges. <laughs> Her talent was a little greater than well, mine. Well, she got so you in the door. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it gave birth to ballet mothers, you know. Right. The, the competition didn't stop with the kids. It really went, went on into the wings, you know, with mothers vying to get their child to number one spot. I don't know, is that a phenomenon in America? We definitely have stage mothers here, and we certainly have <laughs> yes, we, we certainly have you know talent shows. Um, just about every school in America, I'm sure, every year has a talent show. Yeah, a lot of children here, as I'm sure in Australia, are in various after-school you know music and and dance and art activities, and and there's a lot of performance opportunities there, and sometimes competition. Oh, that's, well, that's good. So people will people will know what we're on about. When oh, we do I'm that I'm quite sure. I'm quite sure they'll recognize. I think those sorts of things are universal, and that's yeah, that's that's part of the beauty of dance. And this music is certainly so familiar, or at least most of the music is going to be very familiar to a, a broad audience, yes. which yes, is, is a is good indeed. thing. Part of what you're doing with with Grand is is not just exploring the relationship between dancers and and this instrument that most people I think love, but you're you're getting into the piano. Tell me a little bit about what the stage design and the lighting is doing and how that works with you actually have a a pianist on stage all night, absolutely all night. He's 
I think since day one he's never had a piece of music. He came into the rehearsal with 80 minutes of music somehow glued into his brain. Wow. And um, he is mobile. The piano is actually not static. Um, it interacts with the dance. It weaves in and out. It sets the mood itself. It's a grand piano, so it's no mean feat to get it around the stage, but we've managed to find a way to make it fluid and, and move beautifully. Um, the dancers themselves at one point play the piano. The interaction with the piano is, is enormous, but the set itself is, is derivative of the workings of the piano, of those, that sensual S-curve, mm -hmm. of that black-lacquered look. So it's... You know, everything about this work, including the costumes, has been inspired by uh, the sheet music, um, the internal workings of the piano, the keyboard, the colours, the black, the white, the ebony ivory thing. Mm -hmm. um, piano rolls even make a, an appearance. You know, the old, um, well, it's like a forerunner of the computer, really. Right. You know, those punched holes in the paper that used to be in the piano in the parlor and everyone would sing around while someone pumped vigorously right. on the bellows. <laughs> so those are popular every... in like old western movies in, in America. You see <laughs> a lot of the, the player piano thing. And in my childhood, the piano was the television, mm -hmm. quite frankly, in the home. It was the center of focus. And, I've, and of course, that has enormous effect, you know, on the community because people would come over and it was very common for anyone who came over to our house to end up sitting around the piano or standing around the piano pretending to be Pavarotti, you know? Everyone <laughs> thought it was fabulous times. It was really, in, you know, as opposed to sitting silently watching the television, right. <laughs> which happened later. <laughs> well, you were really probably among, you know, the last generation to spend at least part of your childhood without the TV being the dominant force in the, yes. in the household. I mean, TV came late in my life because... Um, even later than most Australians, because being a, a Tasmanian on the on the edge of the of the Great Island, um, a lot of things came a bit late, and I'm sort of glad for that. No, I'm, I'm not sorry for that because it meant that music was such a huge part of everyday life, and the community too. Because my mum used to play for um, you know, we lived in the country, and she used to play for the the what we'd call the barn dances and the mm -hmm. and the um, you know, community get-togethers and. It was it, it glued it glued the community. It was quite an extraordinary part. How did that transformation take place for you? From going, um, obviously you had a very strong musical background, but you came from a very rural area. How did you make the transition to ballet and and becoming a professional dancer? It's a very very strange journey, and it, it and and it it's not to do very much with the external forces because I really didn't see dance as a child. Uh, it wasn't until I was in my teens that I saw my first um, professional dance experience. Um, and as I said, the competitions or the Steadfords had a huge part to play in that because once I had done a step, then I was suddenly exposed to the fact that there were a lot of people out there. You know, we'd go to the big smoke for the competitions. And there were a lot of people out there that were really good. And, of course, that was inspiring. But initially, the very first taste, of course, was just a child a childlike response to the joy of music, you know, the little feet just started going right. and they didn't stop and I think it disturbed my parents greatly when at, you know, five and six I was still wanting to dance. So at a certain point, um, after, a, a, after a bit of nagging, they actually let me go vast distances actually. They'd drive, you know, like a hundred miles on the weekend to get me to a class 
for two hours or something and then back home. Wow. So they were fabulous from that point of view because without that, I would have passed the use-by date and not been able to sort of get into that dance thing because uh, it, it I was about 10 when I actually did my first formal lesson. I'm very grateful to that sort of, um, you know, for, for people that were not exposed to, well, mo mostly people said, well, you know, dance isn't a profession, you know, and, and that was it, you know, so what, what was the point? <laughs> well, you have certainly been credited with bringing dance to the forefront in your in your home country. I'm sure there was plenty of wonderful dance there before before you came on the scene, but you've certainly helped to galvanize that and your your company is known for its theatricality and, and incredible variety of styles, which has certainly helped in that regard. You um you started with the company in nineteen seventy six when you were named the um, artistic director and that was before the company even had its current name. I guess it was called the Dance Company of New South Wales then. That's right. And then three years later it became Sydney Dance Company and I, I guess um, any mention of you starting as artistic director has to mention Janet Vernon as the associate artistic director. Absolutely. She's been there every inch of the way and, and through good times, bad times, and, and through, as you say, pioneering times because although classical ballet had a firm footage, uh, firm footing in, in Australia, it was then very much sort of something that was basically imported from England. It was you know, very much the Royal Ballet School of Dance and mm -hmm. School of Ballet and that, that style. So getting, in, getting people head around a more contemporary look at, at dance, a more perhaps even relevant um, to your own country, and that was part of Janet and my incredible duty, was to sort of make dance relevant to people in Australia. And that was, that was fun and daunting. Equally. No small feat. You're known certainly for championing a lot of Australian composers. You've commissioned a number of works and, and used existing Australian music. Although, are, are there any Australian composers used in, in Grand? No, there are not, to my, to my great chagrin. But as I say, um, it's a, a, vast a vast amount of new music, including some extraordinary piano music. Mm -hmm from Australian composer Carl Vine has come through our commissioning, so I can't feel too guilty that it's not included. In the <laughs> oh, no, no need, no need to feel guilty. <laughs> and I should point out that um, Grand is going to be making its um, American premiere in this tour during March. I believe exactly. your first performance of that piece in the States is in Palm Desert, California, and then a couple of weeks later you're here at Penn State. Yes. And um, that's... Uh, the first of four performances or, or four uh, locations in Pennsylvania. So we're we're becoming the uh, Aussie dance capital of the world in late March. Well, we, we, I'm very happy to be a part of that invasion. That's we, cer great. we certainly are as well. It's a massive tour, and and it's you know it's five weeks on the road, and the dancers are sort of it's a hard work too. You know, it's not one it's not a cushy work for anyone in the company. Um, everyone has to really share an incredible workload. But they do love this piece. They really do love this piece because it has a great connection with an audience. It's not, it's not one of those pieces that you... It's not a them and us piece. It's a, right. it's a piece that involves an audience directly. Yeah, and the, and the styles of music, I would think, definitely play into that. I mean, you've got classical, jazz, Latin. You've even got a Shostakovich piece that's sort of a polka flavor and a waltz. You've got a, a variety of uh, styles there. Absolutely. Look, you know, I, I don't think there are many people that don't 
feel the immediacy of piano, and especially live. I mean, piano is one of the instruments that I don't think records very well. For some reason, it just it denies technology, it defies technology. There's something about seeing the music being generated by a human being on stage that is, especially when they're surrounded by dancers at high, <laughs> at high voltage. You know? Right. It's a nice combination. It's a great combination. I think you're right. I think if most people had to to pick one instrument, chances are most people would would choose the piano because it is it is so evocative of so many different. Um, it's an orchestra. Yeah. It's a solo jazz instrument. You mot- but it has that absolute ability. I mean, if you listen to the cowl, you don't even think it's a piano. You you know, you see the pianist sort of bum up and head in the piano and it's quite an extraordinary thing and the sounds that are coming out are just quite extraordinary. Right. And I think it's that depth of, you know, that's ten fingers evoking a whole orchestra is is quite a phenomenon. I understand that after three decades with Sydney Dance Company that you and Janet Vernon have announced that you are resigning from your posts at, at the head of the company. That must have been a, a difficult decision. And it, it still is, you know, because every day I'm working with those dancers that I adore mm-hmm. and uh, the direct link with, with past generations of dancers that I've adored. And, you know, and it goes right back to dancers who now have children and it, it's an extraordinary thing because it was a lifetime really it was a 30 year but a total involvement and and it is strange this is a final year we're bridging uh, the period between the announcement of a new artistic director who will begin um, in 08 so it's a farewell tour in a way and it's bittersweet but Janet and I really felt that, you know, there's a great danger in the arts of staying too long at the fair. <laughs> and we have a real a real wish to do other things. And so often beautiful things have offered themselves and and a company like this demands your every moment. So you tend to say no to some of the more um you know more obscure and different offers. So I think it's time that we said yes, and the dancers have been divine. They've been very sad about it, but they understand that, you know, mummy and daddy still have some flying to do. <laughs> well, you're you're certainly still a young man. You're you're just in your mid-50s, and, and that um, leaves you with an opportunity to do a lot of things. Do you have any immediate plans of projects you'd like to work on? Well, my connection with China and the company's connection with China is very tangible. It's um, a connection that's built up since the 80s. We've been going to to mainland China since early 80s. We were one of the very first contemporary companies to ever put point a foot or flex a foot on that vast country. And there's an incredible amount of um, interest in what Sydney Dance Company does. We're perceived as part of Asia. So therefore, our, um, our connection is real, you know, it's very real to those people. And the dancers in that country are extraordinary at this point in time. It's all come together, both the physicality and the artistry. And for me, that's a very exciting frontier and one that I really look forward. We've been regularly performing there for the last five years and actually had a massive collaboration with a Chinese company and Sydney Dance Company last year and a work called Mulan. Mm-hmm. Not, not the Disney not version, the Disney but the movie. legend. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that's great. So that's a big adventure. And I really want to do more work in opera, um, theatre, film, I'd like to direct plays and mm-hmm. you know it's, it'll always be with a dance focus but I think the world is large and I think also working outside, working perhaps more with classical works, I've just you know I've, I've done several works with Australian Ballet which I really enjoy 
I think it's just mixing it up, John. I think that's the point, really. Right. Well, it sounds like you've got some marvelous opportunities there, and I, I certainly wish you the best of luck with that. Well, I hope some of them bring me to America. That would be a lot of fun. Well, I I have a feeling you'll get back here. This is this is going to be your ninth tour to the states, and we're uh, very grateful that you're coming. Thank you so much. Tickets are on sale now for Sydney Dance Company in Grand, Thursday, March 22nd at 7:30 p.m. in Eisenhower Auditorium. Purchase online at www.cpa.psu.edu or phone 1-800-ARTS-TIX. For the Center for the Performing Arts, I'm Laura Sullivan.